You have your Bible turned tonight to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Offering plates are here in the front. If you have offering that you need to give tonight, they'll be here for you to put in after the service. Brother Howard said he already put seed money in, so we should be good. I think it's only fair to warn you that if you've been talking about me behind my back, whispering things, you might ought to stop because we've got hearing aids. I might be able to hear you from now on, so be sure that what you say about me is nice, not bad. What was that mumbling I heard back there last? Before we begin, let me give you some prayer requests from this morning. Uh, we want to continue to pray for Tony Haikoop's family. He, his stepfather, Jim Marvin, passed away this week. They're not going to be having a memorial service until sometime later, but you could be in prayer for the family. Uh, Sue Burbridge had her surgery this week. Uh, as of last night, she was still in the Baptist Med Center in room 708, and uh, she's a, the surgery went well, but the recovery's uh, taken a little longer than they might have anticipated. As I told you this morning, Mindy Haiku had to be taken back to the hospital. Some of you misunderstood me. She went to the hospital, but she was not kept in the hospital. She is at home in isolation. Um, she broke out, and they are going to keep her in isolation for a little while. <clears throat> Be in prayer for her. She's really had a difficult time with the chemo. Uh, also, Ruth Ashcraft had her surgery, and I didn't realize this morning she was in the service, so she's doing fine. Good to see her here. And uh, Miss Barbara Hop asked us to remember her brother, Don Campbell. Uh, brother Don was the past president of the Dallas Theological Seminary. He was teaching Sunday school up until last week, didn't you say? He's 91 years old. Uh, but he's uh, rather frail and ill right now, and so we just want to lift him up in prayer. So let's bow for prayer as we begin this evening. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to be in your house tonight. Thank you for these who have been so faithful to come. I ask, Lord, uh, your favor on these that we've lifted up before you. Um, Brother Tony and his family and the loss that they've sustained and those who have uh, illnesses and ongoing treatments that... We'd love to, for you to be the great physician to them. and I pray for Mindy tonight. pray that the uh, treatments that she's having is, is successful in eliminating the disease. And I also pray that she would begin to feel better over the uh, problems that she's having right now, that the medicine would help. Uh, pray for Sue as she continues to recuperate in the hospital. Pray for healing for her body. Pray for strength for Fred as he drives back and forth. Lord, we just pray for your guidance and direction in our study tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter number 6. Jesus has finished describing the, and the incredibly high standards uh, of behavior that are going to be required of those who would be his followers. In verse 20 of chapter number 5, Jesus had told his disciples 
that their righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And then beginning in verse 21 down through verse 48, Jesus gave six examples of how the teachers of the law were changing the law in order to suit themselves. Jesus now moves on to dealing with the motivation in which one carries out their religious devotion. Jesus declares that even right things can be done for the wrong motives. Why people do good things may not be as obvious as we think sometimes. I read a story about vandals who cut down six huge royal palm trees along a major boulevard in Miami. The city wasn't sure that it was going to be able to pay to replace those palms because they were so large. But then someone donated six more, even bigger ones. And they even had them planted. The old ones were 15 feet high, and they were a nice foreground to a billboard that said, Fly Delta. The new trees were 35 feet tall, completely hiding the billboard. The new donor, Eastern Airlines. (laughs) Motivation might not be as simple as you think. To make his point about motivation, Jesus uses an example of the three most important demonstration of religious devotion in Jewish religious practice. Giving, prayer, and fasting. The question of motives still comes into play in our own religious lives today, especially in our day in which there are those who teach that material prosperity is a demonstration of the favor of God. God wants us to give and God wants us to pray, but he wants wants us to do it for the right reasons. And those who would be followers of Jesus are to practice their religion from the heart and not for the notice and reward of men. Jesus introduces the subject in verse 1 of chapter 6, where he says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So the principle is pretty clear. Beware of doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. The fundamental principle is found in the word that's translated, take heed. Or if you have one of the newer translations, it may be translated, beware. What we need to know about that word is that it is not only an imperative, that's a command, but it is also a present tense imperative, meaning that the disciples, all disciples, those then and us now, have to be on guard continually against doing good things for the wrong reasons. Kent Hughes put it this way. He said, In normal everyday conversations, most of us have learned to use the absolute words such as always and every sparingly. We know such statements as, You always leave the dishes on the table. Or, Every time I want to talk to you, you're watching TV. Or, You always want to be in control. Those kind of statements can get us in hot water. But Jesus' words here are absolute. Jesus is saying, anyone who does a good deed so as to be seen 
and appreciated by others will lose his or her reward no matter how good or how beneficial that deed is there is absolutely no exemptions the question we have to ask ourselves is do I want the approval of God or the approval of others the truth is I want both don't you human nature nature says yeah I'd like to have both but the truth is that it is impossible to have both what Jesus deals with in these verses is the human tendency in each of us that desires the appreciation of others this is shown when in verse 1 the word translated to be seen is a Greek word that has the same root word that we get our word theater from it is has in mind something that is to be gazed at a spectacle that is to be seen now let's look at the three areas that Jesus applies the general principle in in each of these three areas there is a wrong way and a right way to go about it first of all if you give to be seen of men you have your reward he says in verse 2 therefore when you do a charitable deed do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. They may have the glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they had the reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Notice the assumption in verse 2. When, when you do a charitable deed... In fact, in the discussion of each of those three areas tonight, Jesus does, does not begin with if you pray, if you give, if you fast, then this is what you should do. Instead, he says when you pray, when you give, when you fast. He takes for granted that these things are going to be done. In the area of giving, it is because you have, you have been brought into the kingdom of God it is assumed that since you have brought, been brought into the kingdom of God, that you will give to the kingdom of God to further the kingdom of God. It's an evidence that you are truly saved. Not just to give the minimum, but to give above and beyond the minimum. The wrong way to give is described in verse 2. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue or in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. <clears throat> the word hypocrite, hypocrite, is a word that was used to describe the theater. In those days and age, they did not have the luxury of the things that you and I associate with the theater. If they had an actor, an actor might play more than one part. And in order to change characters, they used a mask. They held a mask up in front of them to designate what character they were playing. And they might also hold up a mask that showed a frown or a smile or anger or whatever. When the Pharisees were giving to the poor, some say that what they do was that they would have a trumpet sounded. They said it was to get the poor to come to them so that they might give. But 
Jesus saw through that mask, and the real reason was to call attention to themselves. They wanted the recognition and the applause of men. They wanted the prestige and the honor of being known as godly men. Jesus is using a figure of speech when he says in verse 3, Do not let, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Common sense tells us that he's not telling you that you need to hide your left hand behind your back while you sign your check with your right hand. He's not even saying that uh, you can't keep track of your giving, say, for tax purposes. What he is saying is that we need to be careful of what, why we do such things. When the Lord says they have their reward, <clears throat> he uses, it really is terminology of commerce, banking, indicate that something's been paid in full. Uh, he indicates that this honor or this applause of humans is going to be the full reward that they get. That's it. You've got your reward. In other words, they can have the approval of God or they can have the applause of others. But if you choose the applause of others, then the, uh, that applause becomes our reward. Yet it is not whether something is done in public or not, but rather the motivation that matters. The ancient Christian preacher of the first century stated it this way, You may do your good deeds before men and yet not seek human praise. You may do them in secret and yet in your heart wish they might have become known so that you might gain praise. I think we have to stop for just a moment and clarify something about rewards. <clears throat> Some people feel that is wrong for a Christian to be motivated by rewards. There is a misconception that many Christians hold that we should never be motivated by reward. They might say something like this. Well, maybe some people need to look for a reward from God to do good works, but it must be better to do good works without expecting any reward even from God. Now, that sounds pretty spiritual. In fact, in so doing, you are saying that you are more spiritual than Moses because Moses looked for a reward. In the book of Hebrews... Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And then in the last phrase, for he looked to the reward. Heaven itself, as we, I think we all recognize is not the reward heaven is not reward for a a faithful life we understand that salvation is by faith through grace Ephesians 2 8 through 10 but the Bible does have a lot to say about rewards that await faithful Christians in fact one of the prominent doctrines of the New Testament is the doctrine of rewards in the judgment seat of Christ the judgment seat of Christ is not a time and place when the Lord will met out punishment for sins committed by children of God. Rather, it is a place where rewards will be given or lost depending on how one has used his or her life for the Lord. That means that our decisions and our words 
in this life directly affect our eternal status? Will you be great in heaven or not? Are you daily investing in eternity so as to earn rewards that can be enjoyed forever? Or are you merely living for the temporary earthly rewards that you can see? Well, that was the wrong way to give. Here's the right way to give. He says in verse 3, But when you do a charitable deed, do all... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. The Roman orator Marcus Aurelius once said, One man, when he has done a service for another, is ready to set it down to his account as a favor conferred. Another, while he may not go so far as that, still thinks of the other man as his debtor, and is conscious of what he has done. The third does not, if we may so speak, even know what he has done, and betrays no consciousness of his kindness, but is like a vine that has produced grapes and seeks for nothing after it has produced the fruit proper for itself. As a horse when it runs, a dog when he has caught game, A bee, when he has made honey, so a man, when he has done a good act, does not call out for others to come and see, but goes on to another act, just as a vine goes on to produce again grapes in season. Not only in the area of giving, but secondly, if you pray to be seen of men, you have your reward. The wrong way to pray, verse 5, And when you stand, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue or on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. Now, we understand how they could stand in the synagogues and be seen, but why would they be on the corners of the streets? Well, you have to plan well. You know the You know the times of the day where prayer is called for, so you make sure that when that time comes, you just happen to be on the corner of Broadway and Main Street so that you give your public prayer there in the front of people. It should be noted, I think, that the Lord spends more time devoted to how motivation applies to the subject of prayer than he does to any other Christian act. It is no no doubt because it is easier to be a hypocrite in praying than perhaps in any other Christian pursuit. It is not a sin to pray in public. It is not a sin to stand while praying. The fault lies in the desire to be seen and applauded by men for doing it. Deep within each believer is the desire to pray And somewhere in the back of our mind to have people stand in amazement at the skillful use of our words. Did you hear that wonderful prayer? Wow, I wish I could pray like that. Is the very kind of thing that we're talking about. The right way to pray is addressed in verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you've shut your door... Pray to your father who is in secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, 
Do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. Here Jesus tells us of the value of praying in secret. Since prayer is communication between a believer and God, this should be noted that anything that you could do to eliminate any possible distraction or disturbance is probably wise. It's not wrong to pray in public. In fact, in verses 9 through 15, Jesus gives us the model prayer as an example. Prayer can be done in public, but it must always be remembered who you're speaking to. It is not wrong to pray in public, but it's wrong to pray in public when you are not praying in private. We should pray in secret before we pray in public. Jesus also, in effect, tells us, cut to the chase. Jesus says, do not use vain repetitions, which can be translated, do not keep on babbling. And that is a pretty accurate sense of the word, the Greek word here, which sounds like babbling and has the sense of ba, 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 is what they feel like it sounds like. God is not impressed with the number of words that we use in our prayers. It is my contention that some of the world's most effective prayers have been short. One that I think of very often is when Peter decided that he was going to walk on the water. And he did for about two steps, but then he lost his focus. And he began to sink. I've always wondered if Peter could swim, by the way. I don't know, but you may find it astonishing, as I have, that many ancient sailors could not swim. Seems like a suicide pact to me, but anyway, why did Peter pray? Lord, save me. That's all he said. That's all he needed to say. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher, said, Christians' prayers are measured by weight, not by length. Many of the most prevailing prayers have been as short as they were strong. I think that's pretty good. And third, not only in the area of prayer, but also, he says, if you fast to be seen of men, you have your reward. Now, fasting, in our eyes, usually means to abstain for food for some spiritual purpose. The instruction that's given here in the Sermon on the Mount about how to fast is, of course, based on the fact that individuals will fast from time to time. The issue is not how often they fast, but how they fast and why. Verse 16 gives the wrong way to fast. Jesus is not condemning fasting as a practice. Rather, he is condemning fasting that's done for the wrong reasons. He tells us the wrong way in verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. The problem, as in the other cases, was the motive of the heart. 
those who wanted to appear to men to be fasting, would put on a gloomy, forlorn face so that others would notice. It is the attitude that says, in effect, I may have to fast, but by golly, I want people to notice when I'm fasting and to notice how spiritual I am. They wanted everyone to know they were denying themselves. And so even self-denial can be self-gratifying if we do it for the sake of being noticed by others. Even what begins as a spiritual act of self-discipline can become an occasion for pompous self-righteousness. Tragically, we can do similar things today. I read about a campus outreach group, Christian students who were strongly urged to carry their Bibles to school and to college as a sign of their faith and as a witness to others. Nothing wrong with that. After all, if they were not embarrassed to carry a chemistry textbook or a novel, why should they shy away from carrying their Bibles? But pretty soon it was noticed that some of the Christians were carrying exceptionally big Bibles. Like hypocrites in Jesus' day, they were trying to establish a reputation for godliness, the right way to fast. Finally, beginning in verse 17, we're told the right way to fast. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you not, do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Like almost every other facet of Jewish spiritual life, fasting had been perverted and twisted beyond the scriptural intentions. Fasting was seen as a way by that time to gain merit with God and the attention of men. The Jews of Jesus' day were only commanded in the Old Testament to observe one day of fasting per year, that on the Day of Atonement. The Pharisees, however, prided themselves on fasting twice a week, on Mondays and Thursdays. It even became somewhat of a point of contention between the followers of John the Baptist, who were said to fast often, and the followers of Jesus, who did not. And Jesus answered that when he said when he was not with them any longer, when the bridegroom was taken away, then his disciples would fast as well. Now, as I said, fasting is most often thought of in connection with abstaining from food. But there are other applications to fasting. It is to abstain from any legitimate thing in order to spend that time thus gained with God. So you can legitimately fast from television, from reading, from playing computer games, from communicating on Facebook. But fasting, abstaining from anything that does not result in more time spent with God is of no value. So when one might want to fast in times like times of national crisis, 
seeking to know the will of God, when faced with some seemingly impossible situation, those are great times to fast and pray. Got a big problem, big decision, heavy burden, we can try fasting. You don't have to eliminate food. You could eliminate something else that's taking time that you would devote to be with God. And perhaps most important here, Jesus would say, and do it in secret. Don't communicate that. As always, the choice is between the approval of God and the applause of others. In these verses, Jesus gives us three very clear ways that the righteousness of his disciples can exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The hypocrisy of these religious leaders had stripped the spiritual value out of three of the most important facets of religious life in that day, giving, prayer, and fasting. And as followers of Jesus, we expect to do those things and to do them with the right attitude. The thrust of these verses is very humbling if we really take it to heart. Why do we do the things we do? Why do we serve in the church? Why do we teach Sunday school? Why do we work in a one? Why do we help others? Why do we pray? Do we serve out of a humble sense of gratitude for all that Christ has done for us? Or do we serve and give to be recognized by others? If you do, then Jesus says, you have your reward. But those things that you do from your heart to God alone will be rewarded by him. Let's pray. And with this prayer, we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you that you remind us of the necessity of not only doing the right thing, but doing it with the right attitude. And sometimes it's much more difficult for us to do the right thing in the right attitude than it is for us to just do the right thing. Father, I pray you'd help us with the attitudes of our heart. Help us to recognize that sometimes uh, we do things for the wrong reason, wrong motivation. And help us to correct those things in our lives. Help those to be a reminder that we do what we do because of what you have already done. Include us in the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be good witnesses, good disciples, and those who could follow our example. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much.